Thank you, brother. Great job this morning, as always. Take your Bibles with me, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter number 17, is what I want to look at today. Matthew chapter number 17, and we'll start in just a moment in verse number 1. Now, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Now, I know we put it on the screen, and um, we do that for a lot of different reasons, but I want you to have your copy of the Word of God. And I'm, I'll promise you this. If you'll bring your copy of the Word of God to church with you, you're going to get a whole lot more out of the service. I'll promise you that. Now, your Bible may not look like mine. That's okay. A lot of you use your tablets or you use your cell phone, uh, and that's all right as long as you've got your copy of the Word of God because for, for several reasons. First of all, I want you to know that what I'm telling you comes from the absolute truth of God's Word. Amen? I want you to know that. I don't want you to think I'm getting this from the Reader's Digest or some magazine or some other book. I want you to know that what I'm giving you comes from God's absolute truth in His Bible. And so, um, check me up. Make sure I'm giving you truth when I'm sharing with you Scripture. Matthew chapter number 17 is what we're going to be looking at today. We'll start there in, uh, in verse number 1. Listen to what the Bible tells us. I love this. It says that, if I can get there, I need to turn my Bible there. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. Now watch. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Now skip down with me to verse number 20. Go all the way down to verse number 20 and listen to this. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. I'm going to read that last part again because I want you to see that. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. Isn't that good news? What, a, what an amazing promise the Word of God gives us here. Notice what it's telling us. It's telling us, folks, that we serve the God of the impossible. What is impossible with men is possible with God. See, the truth is there's a lot that I can't do. And the truth is there's a lot that you can't do. There's a lot that I can't fix and there's a lot that you can't fix. But I'm glad to know that the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. What I can't fix, what you can't fix, what I can't do, what you can't do, God can do. There's nothing God can't do if you believe it, say amen. That's what the Bible's telling us. Now, what I fear happens a lot of times is that we as believers, we as Christ followers, sometimes we believe the lie of the enemy and we believe his lie that the God that we read about on the pages of Scripture is not the same God we're serving right here today. Let me tell you something. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You need to understand what the Bible tells you about the God we serve. The Bible tells me that God spoke and stars came into existence. The universe itself was created by the very Word of God. The Bible tells me in Psalm 147, verses 1 through 4, that not only did God breathe the stars into existence, but He calls them all by their names. Not only did He create them, He named them. 
We still don't even know the number of stars. We don't even know how many stars there are. God knows the number and name of each and every one of them. He, they were created by Him. We serve a star-breathing God this morning. The Bible tells me in the book of Exodus that when Moses led the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and he brought them up to the banks of the Red Sea, the Red Sea was in front of them and the Egyptian army was behind them and they were about to be crushed. And Moses began crying out unto the Lord. And God said, Moses, what you need to do is be still. Be still and you're going to see the glory of the Lord. And the Bible says when there wasn't a way, God made a way through the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea and the Bible tells us his people walked across on dry land. See, what I'm trying to tell you today is we serve a star-breathing God, but we serve a sea-splitting God. A God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. And then right here in Matthew 17, Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son, makes the promise that he's a mountain-moving God. He is a mountain-moving, sea-splitting, star-breathing God. You say, well, Brother Israel, do you really believe that? Absolutely, I believe that. Let me tell you why. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. He does not change. Our God is immutable. He does not change. He has no need of change. You can't improve upon perfection. So the perfect, holy, righteous, omnipotent, omniscient God of the universe that we read about on the pages of Scripture is the God we serve this morning. Today, I want to talk to you on the subject of the mountain-moving God. The mountain-moving God. Brothers, put the lights up for me. The mountain-moving God. What does this mean for me and you? Why are we sharing that this morning? Because I'm going to go hell out on a limb here and, and say to you that um, probably I would guess somebody within the sound of my voice this morning is dealing with some mountains. I'm talking about whether you're in this sanctuary or you're listening to me online. You've got some mountains that need moving in your life. I've come to find out as a pastor, I've been, the Lord has now allowed me to pastor in churches for about 21 years. And I'm telling you, in those 21 years, there's one thing the Lord has shown me is there's a problem in every pew and there's a problem in every pulpit. Don't think that you are alone. Don't think that you're the only one who struggles. Don't think that you've only, you're the only one who have mountains in your life, those mountains that need moving. I'm talking about mountains of depression. Anybody ever dealt with that? Absolutely, it happens. I'm talking about mountains of discouragement. Maybe I'm talking, talking to some brethren this morning that are discouraged in, in different areas of their life. Those can be mountains that, that it's hard to overcome. I'm talking about mountains of doubt. I'm talking about mountains of disease, sickness in your life that you can't seem to get over. I'm talking about mountains that are keeping you from being all that God wants you to be. I'm talking about mountains that are stealing for you what's already been purchased in Christ, which is the abundant life that he offers to all who trust in him. I'm talking about mountains that are too high for you to go over and too wide for you to go around. I'm talking about mountains that only God can move. You can't do it, you can't fix it, but God can do it. I'm talking about God can fix it. And we find evidence of that right here in Matthew chapter 17. This whole chapter is about mountains. <laughs> The Mount of Transfiguration and mountains that need move. Now, we'll see that uh, upon the Mount of Transfiguration that Jesus has power to move the mountains that need moving in your life. 
Look what it tells us. There's three things that I want you to see here from this third or 17th chapter of the book of Matthew. First of all, I want you to see the glory revealed in Jesus. The glory revealed. Look what it says in verse number one. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured. Everybody say transfigured. Now, the word transfigured means to change form is actually what it means. The original Greek word here is the same word that we get our English word metamorphosis from. Now, you know what a metamorphosis is if you were in Miss Moses' sixth grade science class with me. I'll never forget this. In the sixth grade, Miss Moses had an aquarium in her classroom. And in that classroom, she took some uh, caterpillars and put them in there. And after a while, those caterpillars spun a cocoon. And after a few weeks, that which, which, which was on the inside came to the surface, and there was a change that took place. Amen? That caterpillar had then turned into a beautiful butterfly and burst forth from the cocoon. Now, that's the, that's the picture of a metamorphosis, a change within that comes to the surface, a change in form. Jesus was metamorphosized, if you will, right here in Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. He changed form right there before his disciples' eyes. The glory of God shone through him. The Bible says that his face shone as the noonday sun and his clothes was white as snow. The light, the glory of God himself shone through the Lord Jesus. And that's what I love about God. Let me tell you how he works. He always works from the inside out. Can you say amen? He takes that which is on the inside, changes it, and then brings it to the surface. And that's exactly what it happens right here. What was on the inside of the earthly tabernacle of God the Son and the Son of God shone forth to the disciples that was on the outside. And what he did there, he does for us in a way. He really does. He changes us on the inside. He puts his light within us on the inside. And then it's up to us to allow him to work on us, work in us, and work through us so that the light of Christ might be shown to a lost and dying world, to a dark world. Can you say amen? He transfigured himself before the disciples so that they might realize just who he is. There was a change that took place. Let me share something else with you though. That's what transfiguration is. It's a change in form. Why was he transfigured? Why is this in the Bible? Why does this speaks so powerfully right here in Matthew 17. Well, I'll tell you what I believe the transfiguration is. I think it's a preview of things to come. It's a preview of what Jesus promised to come later on. Now, how many of you know that the Word of God, the text itself, we believe to be absolute truth. We believe it to be God-breathed. I'm talking about inspired by God, written down by man. If you believe that this morning, say amen. Good. We're in good company. We believe the Word of God to be His absolute truth. Now, let me tell you what's not inspired. It's chapter divisions. I've heard someone say that chapter divisions are there to help us read it better, and I think it does help us to, to read it and find where we need to be and when we need to be there. That's all true, and I'm, I'm thankful for them, but they're not inspired. I heard somebody say that chapter divisions were put in the Word of God so Baptist preachers wouldn't preach too long. Maybe that's true. 
You can say amen if you want to right there. That's all right. But maybe that's maybe I need that. But that's okay too. I'm just saying that the chapter divisions are not inspired. And right here, chapter 16 really flows right into chapter number 17. There shouldn't be a chapter division where it's at. Verse number 27 of Matthew 16. Look back up at it for just a minute. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father and His angels, and He shall reward every man according to His works. Let me tell you what promise Jesus is making right here in Matthew 16, verse 27. He's promising that He will come back in His second coming to set up His rule and His reign upon the earth. He's promising what the Old Testament prophets called the day of the Lord. That's what they taught. That's what they called it. That's what they prophesied. That one day God would come and physically rule and reign upon planet earth. We know that to be the second coming which happens at the end of the great tribulation. Jesus said that day is the day they should look forward to. He's talking to his disciples too, to his, to his, to his followers. He said you need to be looking forward to that day. The Bible says in that day that the lion will lay down with the lamb. See, there's going to be perfect peace upon the earth. Can you say amen? The Bible says that the desert will bloom like the rose in that time. There's going to be perfect provision. I mean, everybody's going to have all they need. The Bible says that Jesus himself will rule and reign from Jerusalem over all planet earth. Listen, he's going to reign in perfect righteousness. You talking about a great world, a perfect world, that world is going to come to pass when Jesus comes in his second coming and sets up his millennial reign. The Bible says he'll reign upon this earth for a thousand years. If you believe it, say amen this morning. That's what he's promising here in Matthew 16, verse number 27. Now look what else he says though. Watch this. He says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He said, there's going to be some of you that's standing right here around me that's going to see this take place. Now, I've heard critics and skeptics of the Word of God say for years, well, there it is. Jesus promised that they wouldn't die till His second coming had come to pass. See, what they forgot to do is read on to verse chapter number 17. In chapter 17, exactly what Jesus promised in Matthew 16 takes place. He gives his disciples, some of them, just like he said, remember, he said some of you standing here is going to see the Son of Man come into his glory. You're going to see that with your own eyes, even before you die. And that's what happens in Matthew 17, verse 1, after six days, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, his brother. Now, some of the disciples got to go after six days, the Bible tells us. Now, I want you to think about this. This is, this is just food for thought. You don't have to believe this just exactly like I believe it. But I was just thinking about it this week, man. It really blessed my heart when I got to seeing what the Word of God says here. See, I believe that that six days is there for a reason. The Bible says after six days. They went up to the mountain. Now, if the Mount of Transfiguration is a preview of the second coming of Christ, what does the six days stand for? Well, the Bible tells me that a, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Do you know how many, how many years of recorded history there are upon planet Earth right now? About 6,000 years. Do you know I believe the millennial reign, that thousand-year reign where Jesus will rule and reign on planet Earth physically? Do you know what I believe that is? I believe that's the seventh day. 
See, what I'm trying to tell you is, I think we are on the threshold of the second coming of Christ. I think we've come to the end of what Jesus called the age. I think it won't be long until the Lord comes back for His people. I think that. I believe that. Because God's Word says that. After six days, He took them up to the mountain. And there's two things that I really want you to notice here. First of all, I want you to notice the three disciples that were with Him. The Bible says Peter... James and John were with him. Now, if you go back and look in Matthew 16, 28, um, 27, 28, like we read a moment ago, you're going to see that it wasn't just Peter, James, and John there that he was speaking to when he said, when he made the promise, he's going to come to the earth and rule and reign in all his power. All the disciples were there. But he said in verse 28, only some will actually see me come into my glory. Now, why is it that some of the disciples got to go to the mountain and others didn't? Let me tell you what I believe. I heard Dr. Adrian Rogers say something years ago that I love. He said that God does not have favorites, and he doesn't. You know that God doesn't love me anymore, he loves you? And God don't love you anymore, he loves me? Do you know that God did not love Billy Graham anymore than he loved Derek Karras? He didn't. God has no respecter of persons, the Bible says. It it took the same amount of the blood of Christ to save me as it did to save anybody else. God loves us all equally. He does not have favorites. Isn't that good news? See, folks, this morning, God doesn't have favorites. Let me tell you what he does have. He has intimates. Intimates. I'm talking about those who are in an intimate relationship with him. And that's what I see in the life of Peter, James, and John all throughout the, the gospel messages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see these three continually, continually in the inner circle with Jesus. Always. Let me tell you why. Three reasons. Number one, listen to me now. They were desperate for the Lord. I see desperation in these men. Do you remember when the disciples were out on the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the storm came up? And the Bible says that Jesus came walking to them in the middle of the night, in the fourth watch of the night. And he walked out to the boat. The winds are blowing. The waves are crashing. Listen, lightning's striking. Thunder's rolling. I mean, they are scared for their life. They think they're about to die. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, be of good cheer. Be not afraid. It is I. You know what Peter said? Lord, if it's you, bid me come where you are. Now, where is the, uh, in, in the way humans think, where's the place of safety there? Uh, the place of, humanly speaking, fleshly, physically thinking, it's in the boat. <laughs> Listen, I don't, I don't want to be in the water in a storm like that. Matter of fact, the reason they're afraid is that They're afraid that storm is about to capsize the boat and they're all going to be in the water. But Jesus said, I'm out here. You don't have to be afraid. And Peter says, though, I don't want to stay in the boat. I want to come to where you are. He was so desperate 
to come to the Lord, to be with the Lord, to experience what the Lord had for him. He says, I'm willing to get out of this boat, my place of safety, that which is keeping me alive right now. I'm willing to step out of this boat if you tell me I could come. Do you see how desperate this man is? See, I keep telling you folks, listen, Peter had a big mouth and he spoke when he should have been listening and all that's true and he always had a knack for saying the wrong thing. We'll see that in just a minute. That's Peter, but let me tell you something else about that brother. He loved Jesus with all his heart. He was desperate to have that deep, intimate relationship with the Lord. And the same is true for James and John. You remember it was James and John who came to the Lord and, that, well, it was actually their mama that asked that they would be put as, at, at his right hand in his kingdom, at his right and his left hand. They wanted to be great, if you remember. Now, Jesus didn't ever, he, he never um, really got on to them for wanting to be great. He just told them what true greatness was. He said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you can't be like the world. To be great in my kingdom means that you've got to become a servant because the greatest shall be the least and the least shall be greatest. But the very uh, idea that they wanted to be great shows me their desperation. They were desperate for that intimate relationship with the Lord. Let me ask you something. Is there desperation in your life? Are you desperate? To be close to the Lord because you know that's where true peace is found? Are you desperate to be close to the Lord because you know that's true where true joy is found? Are you desperate to be close to the Lord because you know that's where abundant life is found for you? See, these men were desperate. They had their hearts right. But let me tell you something else. Not only was there desperation, but there was also anticipation. Anticipation. Jesus promised it in Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 and 28, that they would not see death until he come into his glory. Now, when he said it, they started looking for it. Through desperation, they had their heart right, but through anticipation, they had their eyes right. I mean, when Jesus said it, they started looking on the horizon. They was ready for it. Do you have your eyes in the right place? Do you have your heart in the right place to be in that intimate inner circle with the Lord? That's what I'm asking you. That's what we've got to ask ourselves. That's what we've got to answer for ourselves. Now, I want you to see they had desperation, anticipation. They had their heart right. They had their eyes right. But let me tell you something else. They had meditation. They had their mind right. When Jesus said it, they believed it. And six days later, it happened. They took hold of the Word of God. Believed it for themselves. It made a difference in their life, just like it makes a difference in our life. You need to see the three disciples that were there. They were there as a representation for us, how we can be in that intimate inner circle with the Lord. He don't have favorites, but he certainly has intimates. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that intimate place. I want to experience what only God can allow me to experience through his power and presence. That's what happens in Matthew 17, 1 through 2. They experience something nobody else got to see. Nobody else got to be a part of. Desperation, anticipation, meditation. Get your eyes right. Get your heart right. Oh, listen, get your mind right. The Bible says... There were three disciples. That's one group that was there. But also it tells us in verse number three, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah. That's another group that was there. And this other group of two were there for, I think, two reasons. First of all, these two people represented two schools of thought from the Old Testament. 
Moses who gave the law, Elijah who was a prophet. And so what's the picture? Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. <laughs> That's it. But let me tell you something else. This is what really blesses my heart. Not only did they represent two schools of thought from the Old Testament, but they represent two groups of people that will one day come back with the Lord in His second coming. Think about this. How many of you know Moses died and the Bible says he was buried? Brother, if you will, please put this on the screen for me. Deuteronomy 34. Let me make sure I get the right verse here. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34 and... Um, 35, excuse me, and verse number 5 and 6. Deuteronomy 35, verses 5 and 6. Watch what the Bible tells us here. <clears throat> 34, I'm sorry. Did I say 35? I'm sorry. Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6. Watch this. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of God. Look at verse 6. And he buried him in a valley of the land of Moab over against uh, Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. So what's the Bible telling us? Moses died and was buried. Yet we see him here at the transfiguration which represents the second coming of the Lord. Now you also know that Elijah was there. But now how many of you know Elijah never saw death in 2 Kings and chapter <clears throat> Number two, in verse number 11, the Bible says that Elijah was taken up by a whirlwind into heaven. He never tasted death. So you have Moses who died, Elijah who never saw death. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. Everybody see that? He never tasted physical death. He was caught up with the Lord. The Bible says by a whirlwind. Now, watch this. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And watch what this means to you and I. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And look down with me if you will please. At verse number 51. The Apostle Paul writing here, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What he's saying is, not every child of God, not every Christ follower is going to die before the rapture, before the Lord raptures his church. That's what he's telling us. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. See, there's some that's going to die. That's represented by Moses. He died and was buried in the grave. But there's others that won't die, that won't be dead when Jesus comes back. And the Bible says they shall be changed. Now look, look at this now. In a twinkling of an eye, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So what's the Bible telling us? There's coming a time as followers of Christ that we are either going to meet the Lord through physical death and we're going home to be with Jesus or when Jesus comes back to rapture his church, those who are alive and remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye because this corruption, this flesh, this sinful flesh must put on Incorruption, this mortality that's falling away must put on immortality. So what's being represented there with Elijah and Moses, not only two schools of thought from the Old Testament, but two groups of people that are coming back with Jesus 
when he comes in his second coming. He said, Brother, how's that going to work? Well, I'll tell you how it's going to work. The Bible says that before the great tribulation, the church is going to be raptured. Can you say amen? We're going to be brought home to be with the Lord. Either the dead in Christ shall rise and meet the Lord in the air, or those that are alive and remain will be called up together to meet the Lord. We will be with him through the great tribulation. And at the end of the great tribulation, at the battle of Armageddon, Jesus comes back in his second coming to set up his rule and reign upon planet earth for a thousand years. That's the dawning of the new day. Can you say amen? See, I believe that's the seventh day at the end of the six days that's being represented right here in Matthew 17. Isn't it awesome to think what we've got to look forward to? To be changed to be just as he is. To have a body not hindered by matter, space, or time. To be complete and whole in every way. To be sinless in the presence of God for an eternity. To be free of sickness and free of shame. Let me ask you something. You ever get sick of yourself? You know what I've come to find out? My greatest enemy, I don't have to look nowhere else but right here. Sometimes I just get sick of me. I just say, Lord, did you just, did you just, did you hear what I just thought? Did you see it? Because I'm sorry, Lord. I blew it right there. And I let my mouth get ahead of my mind. And I got to say, Lord, did you hear what I just said? I'm so sorry. Forgive me, Lord. And I do things that I know are not pleasing unto him. Gosh, Lord, you know what I did here. Shame sometimes grips me. I mean, I get sick of me. I'll be glad when there'll be a time when I will be just as he is. Now, I'm forgiven now, but I'll be sinless then. I'm still struggling now in this world and with this flesh and with the devil. Just like you are. That's why we need grace. But one day, this corruption is going to put on incorruption. And one day, this mortality is going to put on immortality. And I will forever be with the Lord. That's the promise that we have in Christ. It's amazing. So there's two groups there, the disciples, the intimates, but also Moses and Elijah that represents two schools of thought from the Old Testament, two groups of people that's coming back with the Lord. Amen? Isn't that good stuff? Now watch. Now what I want you to see First of all, the glory of Jesus revealed. But I also want you to see the grief of humanity relieved. Watch. Matthew chapter 17, verse number 4. 
Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, you remember me telling you, Peter did love the Lord with all his heart, but a lot of times he should have been thinking instead of talking. And he, he's like myself. He let his mouth get ahead of his mind here, and he got so excited about what was going on, he wanted to start a building program. And he said, you know what? I'll I tell you what we're going to do. We're fixing to build three tabernacles. We're going to build one for Jesus, we'll build one for Elijah, and we'll build one for Moses. As a matter of fact, in the book of Mark, I love how Mark's account of this goes. In the book of Mark, it says that when Peter didn't know what to say, this is what he said. He didn't know what to say. He was so excited, so charged up, so keyed up about what was going on, being in this uh, presence of God like this, encountering the Lord in this fresh new way. And he just blurts out, let's build three tabernacles. Let's stay up here and dwell a while. Now watch what happens. It is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Let me tell you what God the Father just did here. He just set him straight. And he said, Peter, Moses don't need a tabernacle. And Elijah don't need a tabernacle. What you need is to hear my son because he's the fulfillment of all Moses said, all Elijah did, it's found in him. He put the focus right back on the Son of God and God the Son. This is one of three times that God speaks from heaven so that other people can hear and declares that Jesus is the Son of God. There's three times in Scripture where God actually did that while Jesus walked upon the earth. Isn't that amazing? Verse 6, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Let me tell you what that means. They were scared out of their minds. They fell on their face. They didn't know what else to do. They had never experienced the power and presence of God in that way. That's why I tell you, we talk about, I love the song, I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I stand before the Lord and we think about all these things we're going to do. I actually had somebody tell me the other day, I tell you what, there's a question I've got to ask God when I stand before Him and I'm going to ask Him this, I'm going to say that, I'm going to do this over here. I don't know that we're going to do any of that. Probably what's going to happen, we'll probably just like Peter, James and John right here and fall on our face. Because of the power and the holiness that we're in the presence of. They were so afraid, the Bible says. Now watch. Watch what happens. Oh, I love this part. Verse 7. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man. No man save Jesus only. Everybody say Jesus only. Moses wasn't there, Elijah wasn't there, Jesus only. If you got a pen this evening, take your pen and underline Jesus only. Circle it, put a star by it. Jesus only. Remember that. Jesus only. What's the reason for the universe? Jesus only. Colossians 1.16 says that the worlds were made by him and the worlds were made by 
for him. The universe exists because of Jesus. What's the reason for redemption? Jesus only. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You don't come to, you don't get to know God by a plan and a, and a, or a product. You know God by man, and that's the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus only. Why do we have the Bible? Jesus only. The Old Testament is about Him. The New Testament is for Him, because of Him. Reveals to us who He is. Jesus only. Why do we come to church? I'll tell you what it better be, Jesus only. Why do we preach the lesson, preach the sermon? Jesus only. Why do we teach the lesson in Sunday school? Jesus only. Why do we pray the prayer? Why do we sing the song? Why do we do what we do? Folks, it's got to be Jesus only. It's all about Him. We've got to make it all about Him in everything we do. Jesus only. Why do I want to be a great father? Jesus only. Why do I want to be a great husband? Jesus only. It's all about Him in every aspect, in every area of life, in every sphere of life. Jesus only. That's the message. Verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man, and to the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And His disciples asked Him, saying, Why then shall the scribes and Elisha must first come? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they have known Him not, and have done not Him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Verse 13. Then the disciples understood what He spake unto them by John the Baptist. And they were come down to the multitude. So here they come off the mountain they meet the multitude they're in the presence of God on the mountain and they come down to the valley and then the presence of Satan himself watch what happens verse 14 watch this and they were come down to the multitude there came a certain man kneeling down to him and saying Lord have mercy on my son for he is a lunatic and sore vexed for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft times into the water and I thought uh, I bought him brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer with you? Bring him hither to me. And when Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. See, folks, let me tell you something. It's good to be up on the mountain in the presence of God and see the glory of Jesus revealed. It's good to be in a service like this and experience the power of God and get the word of God with the people of God and the place of God. But let me tell you something. We don't need to just stay up on the mountain we got to get down to the valley. You need to see the glory revealed on the mountain, but you need to see the grief relieved in the valley. How many of you know we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus? We are called to go to a lost and dying world. We are called to go to a hurting world and bring the balm of Gilead. We are called to go to a dark world and bring the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I keep telling you folks, in here, we receive training to go out there. When we walk out these doors, we enter our mission field. We enter a hurting world that needs Jesus. That's what happened here. That's what happens with us. You need to see the glory revealed in Christ, the grief relieved by Christ. But now you need to see the gift given by Jesus.
And it's given to all of us. Look what happens. I'll do this quickly and I'm done. Verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why can we not cast them out? Isn't that good? Well, we want to know. Why could you do it and we couldn't? So Jesus answered them. He says, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. How many of y'all believe that? Do you know that God gives to every man a measure of faith? That's what the Bible teaches in the book of Romans. Faith is a gift. He gives me a measure of faith. He gives you a measure of faith. Now certainly that faith can grow. But he gives to every man a measure of faith. That's why I keep telling people, man, folks who don't want to trust in Jesus, they don't trust in Jesus because of a lack of faith. They, trust, they don't trust in Jesus because of sin. They don't want their sin dealt with. They want to live their life how they want to live it. They want to be the God of their own domain. They want to be the God of their universe. And they know if they have to trust in Jesus that all that changes. It's not a problem with faith. It's a problem with sin. They believe in everything else. I mean, they'll believe in evolution. They'll believe in um, many gods. And they'll believe in um, all these other things. False gods that, that, that go on. See, they'll put faith in all that, which takes a whole lot more faith to believe in the God of the Bible. So the problem is not faith. The problem is sin. God has given to every, it's a gift. God has given to every man a measure of faith. But let me tell you something now. Faith must be planted. Can you say amen? It's like a mustard seed. It's got to be planted. Belief has to be planted in something. Faith must be planted in the truth of who God is and what God says. Are you getting me? If that seed is not planted, it can't grow. God gives you faith as a gift. But you've got to use it. God will give you faith, but he won't make you believe. Are you getting me? Just like God will give you breath, but he don't make you breathe. <laughs> Does he? I've got to choose to do that. You've got to choose to place your faith in who he is and what he says. Listen to me, folks. Nothing is impossible unto you. If you have faith as, a, as a, just a grain of mustard seed. One of the smallest seeds is the mustard seed. You know what that tells me? It don't take a lot of faith. It doesn't. You say, brother, I don't know if I've got a lot of faith. You don't need a lot of faith. All you need is a grain of mustard seed. That's enough. If you believe God that much, nothing shall be impossible unto you. Can I tell you something else? It don't take a lot of faith to get saved. It doesn't. Sometimes I think we make trusting the Lord too hard. You know what Jesus said? It's like walking through a door. I'm the door of the sheep. If you're trusting Christ today and place your faith, your trust in the fact that He died for your sin, that he took your place at the cross. That he went to the grave, but he didn't stay there. That he rose again. If you'll believe that and trust in it, the Bible says you can be born again. I don't take a lot of faith. 
Child of God, you've already trusted in Jesus. What do you believe in God for? What mountain are you wanting moved? Are you asking in faith? <laughs> Don't be like the lady I heard about a long time ago. They said that she was praying that God would move. There was a, a hill outside her house that had overgrowth and that's all kind of stuff that was on it that she didn't like. And she had to look at it every day from her front window. And so she prayed one evening. She said, Lord, if you can move a mountain with a mustard seed of faith, then I'm asking you to move this hill so that I don't have to look at it every day. And she went to bed and woke up the next morning, ran to the window and flung the, uh, flung the curtains back and looked at her and said, just what I expected. It's still there. That's how we pray sometimes, though, ain't it? We pray and ask God, but are we believing God? Are we trusting that He's actually able to do what He says He'll do? God will give you faith. He'll make you use faith. You've got to do that. You get to be a part of the process. And He wants you to be a part of the process. What do you believe in God for? What mountain are you need moved? Nothing is impossible unto you. We still serve the star-breathing, mountain-moving, sea-splitting God of the Bible. Won't you trust Him today? If you've not yet been born again, won't you place your faith in Christ today? He's given you a measure of faith. You need to put it in the right place. You need to plant that faith in the Word of God, that belief, that trust in who God is and what He says. Won't you come today and do that? I'd love to share with you what it means to trust in Jesus and be born again. The same Jesus who has saved me can and will save you by grace, through faith, once you come. Hey, if you've, if you've got some mountains in your life that you need moved, hey, come and ask believing. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. But sometimes when we ask, we ask amiss, James says. Ask believing. Knowing God is able. Trusting God is able. Bring it, with God, bring it to God with both hands and lay it down. Say, God, I'm trusting you with this. Won't you come today? Whatever you need, God's able this morning. This invitation is for you.